This podcast is brought to you by People Dancing and was recorded in front of a live audience at the People Dancing International Conference, Glasgow 2017. Episode 5, Dr. Peggy Vissicaro. Moving difference, making place, public square dance as community catalyst for marginalised populations in Xichang, China. Good afternoon, everyone. Yes, it is noon. So my first words are dedicated to my collaborators, Dejing Yin and Rong Pen. And I wanted to let you know that while they're not here physically, they're definitely here in spirit. Um, they're in China, and it's difficult for them to travel outside of China um, visas, money, and things like that. But they know that I'm here representing our best interests. Uh, but without their direction, feedback, contribution, and support, um, this presentation would be impossible. So those are my very first words. I am Peggy Vicicaro. I'm from Tempe, Arizona. It's warm there. <laughs> And after 33 years of working at Arizona State University, I left that position uh, with the distinguished title of Professor Emeritus. And uh, now I continued my work as an artist, researcher, and executive director of the organization Cross-Cultural Dance Resources. So I'm thinking maybe that's the title I should put on my, my work now. Uh, instead of Professor Emeritus. A lot of people connote uh, retirement with sort of a, an end. And that, for me, is completely untrue. It's the beginning, right? Um, but in this new role, uh, I honor the legacy of the, the organization's founder, Dr. Joanne Ke'eli Inohumoku. Have any of you heard of her work? She wrote a piece called An Anthropologist Looks at Ballet as a Form of Ethnic Dance. And I worked with her for 35 years, until she passed away recently. Um, so I'm honoring her legacy and uh, the organization, uh, which through active research, publication, consultation, and public presentation, um, focuses on the significance of dance for human cultures and why dance should be factored into the study of human culture, um, or, or human beings. Her spirit inspires me to envision having an even greater impact on, uh, uh, through teaching, research, and facilitation that promotes human diversity as a renewable resource and enriches contemporary life. With the exposure to and experience of different viewpoints, we attain essential life skills that help us get along with others in an increasingly dynamic social environment to become more fulfilled and able to benefit from the total human experience. I most value building and supporting communities of practice that honor the fact that each person brings to the table a unique set of experiences, backgrounds, and knowledges which collectively contribute to the diversity of any group. 
So this thinking has influenced travel to many parts of the world for me, but most recently to China. And this is what I'm going to share uh, based on all of the, these earlier words, uh, kind of giving a, a, a little bit of an uh, intro to the work that I will uh, present. So one of our presentation goals today is to increase awareness of Guangcheng Wu. And I will say right now, my pronunciation stinks because I don't speak Chinese. And whenever I say words uh, to people in Chinese who are from China, they always say, huh? And so I know I'm not pronouncing it right. Uh, but Guangcheng Wu uh, is an important practice that I would like to familiarize uh, you with and also be promoting culture and research in China. Another goal uh, is to reveal research that supports how placemaking, and I'm going to explain uh, through place attachment, that's the construct that I'm focusing on, how placemaking in public space can bring people together uh, that reduces suppression or oppression uh, by dominant hegemonic ideologies and or subsumes or incorporates differences. Uh, a third objective, um, I'm focusing on case study. Uh, this is uh, on the, the work of, uh, with my collaborators um, looking at the Liangsheng Dance Group. And this case study epitomizes the growing uh, heterogeneous public life in China as a model for other world regions impacted by globalization and migration to embrace change as well as sustain individual and social well-being. Finally, uh, it is important for the research team, uh, so Dejing and Rong and myself, to collectively dialogue with other participatory dance practitioners like yourselves, uh, to compare and more deeply understand the possibilities of community building, processes through expressive human movement. So we'll have time at the end of this presentation for discussion, feedback, and questions. So I'm just gonna introduce the collaborative team a little bit more carefully. Uh, first, Pen Rong, uh, I'm always uh, wanting to make sure you understand when you see a name. Uh, in Chinese, it's typically you put the last name first. So her name that I call her is Rong. She's uh, a cultural insider in the sense that um, she's living within the uh, community that this research focuses on. She um, is an ethnic Han. I'll explain a little bit more about the ethnic groups. Um, but she's married to a very important uh, leader in that community. Uh, he is Yi, and I will explain to you that it's actually No Su. Um, and she's been directing this Liangshan dance group for 14 years. Uh, my second collaborator, of course, uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Dei Jin. So Yin Dei Jin. She also is a cultural insider, but she's not from Xichang. Xi Chiang is where this uh, Liangsheng dance group uh, works. Uh, but Dejin Jin is a professor at Sichuan University in Chengdu. And that's near, near the area 
that I'm <coughs> traveling to, Xichang, all residing within uh, Sichuan uh, province. And then myself, I am the cultural outsider. And sometimes it, this is an uncomfortable role, often because you know you're an outsider. Um, but in this setting, it has turned to be, uh, at least uh, as I am honored uh, to, by the people there, um, that this outside view they feel is very important. And so they're kind of emphasizing uh, my perspective because it is basically uh, a way for them to kind of check and see how is this getting through. And I've, I'm very uh, happy to um, provide response to their questions. We work with a translator. Um, Dejin is uh, one who speaks kind of uh, English, uh, you know, kind of half and half, uh, but we get along uh, pretty well with our communication, but there's also one other person who is not mentioned here who has been quite helpful with translation. Um, so my work as an outsider, I'm also an ethnographer. That's, that's what I do as, as a researcher. And so I kind of designed the ethnographic framework for uh, this uh, case study. And I met Dejin in January 2015. She came to Arizona State University as a visiting faculty. And she then invited me to uh, China. And within that time frame of two years, I've been to China four times and developed the research over those four visits. And honestly, the, it's, it's still scratching the surface. So I just need a lot more time to really feel like I'm getting down where I think I want to be in, the, in a deeper place of understanding. Um, what I wanted to do is just provide a, a brief organizing framework. So we're going to look at uh, this phenomenon, Guanzhang Wu, and kind of unpack that a little bit. So that's the what, where, and when. Uh, then we're going to uh, move into the, the specific who, the Liangsheng Dance Group. Uh, and in this Liangsheng dance group, there is um, a kind of interesting focus on Yi and Nosu cultural practices. So that's, that's the little twist here that I want to uh, share that's different. Um, all of this is within uh, the larger context, uh, which is really looking at political, social, economic, and cultural um, conditions that uh, shape meaning. And then finally, uh, what I've interpreted and what we as a group are looking at um, is how all of the influences are creating this, this sort of understanding about Guangchang Wu as a placemaking strategy for marginalized people in, uh, in the particular area of China that I'm focusing on. So always good to have a map. Um, China's, as you can see, quite large. Takes a, a while to, to fly there. So um, Chengdu is really in the uh, southwest area. It's kind of the last stop before the mountains moving into Tibet. And uh, so you have a lot of uh, people from Tibet 
and also in the southwest area um, before entering into Myanmar and Thailand and Vietnam, um, who kind of um, interact and, and live in, in uh, and near Sichuan. There's a very, very small uh, label there. Uh, Sichang is the city that we went to, and I'll give you a little bit more explanation, but I always like to see the kind of the big picture here. And so what we're looking at is this practice called Guangzhou Wu. Have, has anyone heard of it or seen this kind of public square? Okay, Diane, a couple others. Um, it's really phenomenal. Um, the, the term actually literally means public square dancing. You know, when I first hear the word square dancing, immediately I'm thinking, you know, the Western kind of hoedown. Yeah, and, and I kept, Dejin kept saying to me, you know, square dancing, square dancing. I'm like, uh, I had no idea what to expect. And then, you know, once I get to China, uh, I see it for myself. Um, these pictures reflect uh, just some diverse uh, sort of public spaces. But what's really interesting is that the Chinese diaspora, so around the world, outside of China, this is also going on. So if you look at public squares in San Francisco and New York, um, Paris, London, um, Chinese communities come together um, to practice Guantanamo. So if you see this, then now you, you know. All right, well, what better way to illustrate this practice than by a video? So we're gonna go right into that. One of my followers popped a funny question. Why is Chinese square dancing everywhere? Indeed, in China's cities big and small, you could see a group of dancers occupying squares and parks come rain or shine. You can say, well there is a square, there are Chinese grannies happily dancing. At the Louvre in Paris, Red Square in Moscow and in New Jersey, scores of Chinese dancers have been making their mark. So, how many Chinese are square dancers in total? According to a report on China's square dancing industry released in 2015, it is estimated at about 100 million. What are the reasons? First of all, a strong musical catalog. Chinese pop songs like The Coolest Apple Trend and The Little Apple became great hits across the country. The simple melodies are just great for dancing. Besides, access to group dancing is unlimited and wallet-friendly. You don't need a membership or a private coach because the steps are so easy to learn. Those and grannies are attracted by the aspect of fitness. Mostly grew up in a time of collectivist culture and often year for their lost youth and joining in group activities. From a macro perspective, cities are encouraged people to entertain and exercise themselves. Activities and competitions were often held to promote square dancing. 
However, due to Hamlin's clothing, squirrel-dancing can be very annoying and sometimes cause trouble. Some cities like Liuyang, Sanya, and Yunnanmuchi had stipulated that the music volume should be kept at 60 decibels. In China, square dancing is one of the most interesting exercises, offering local grannies to harvest both health and happiness. For these square dance lovers, age is just a number. All right, I just want to uh, reiterate a couple of the primary features that are important to myself as a researcher in this presentation. Um, first, you see, the focus is on the elderly. Okay, so most of what uh, we will find in the practice are um, older people, but women dominantly. I'll go into a little more detail about that in a minute. Over 100 million participate. That blows my mind. Um, naturally, there are different bodies and backgrounds and experiences and knowledges. It goes back to the thing I said very, at the very beginning. So it's that diversity that everyone brings to the table that contributes to the, the collective group. And so uh, the movement itself is choreographed to popular and or specially created music. Um, I brought in some videos. This is actually of the Liangsheng dance group, but you can find it mostly on the internet um, music that is created for this purpose. And so people will use something that maybe has become quite popular. And I was listening to quite a few um, videos online, and I thought, wait a minute, I heard that in Liangsheng. So. It's that kind of sharing that's kind of interesting. Um, Guangzhou Wu occupies urban public spaces. It's, it's hardly seen in the rural areas, although I am told it exists. Uh, and you maybe picked up on this piece about the controversy. So when you have an urban space and you have a residential apartment uh, building next to uh, a square and the music is turned up loud, um, there's sometimes that tension. Uh, that controversial aspect is what often makes press, uh, the, the articles and the news feeds and things like that that you might hear about Guangcheng Wu, so you might pick up on that uh, if you're doing any of, of your own research. It's also open to anyone, and I put, unless the focus is on competition or entertainment. So there are some Guangcheng Wu groups that are just um, really out there to compete and there are uh, events where the top Guangcheng Wu group is awarded uh, some recognition. Um, also Guangcheng Wu groups meet, practice to then take their work into a public square and entertain the people who are there. Uh, they might even go into a, a hospital or other kind of setting to uh, work with uh, an audience in that in that space. Guangcheng Wu is mostly free. Okay, you just show up unless there is a an outfit, something that uh, people like to wear, and then there's some cost involved. And again, if it's entertainment or competition, yes, of course. In fact, that's big business in China. Guangcheng Wu 
materials, costumes, and so forth. Um, the steps are easy to learn, but honestly, um, they're not that easy. And they say that in the video uh, that you just watched, uh, but it is very much culturally um, kind of uh, defined as far as the, the movement. I, I, I found it sometimes a little uh, difficult for, just because it wasn't movement that I was familiar with. Uh, but you can pick up to it because it is repetitive, right? Uh, and then also, Guangcheng Wu often promotes uh, nostalgia, a kind of yearning for uh, when one was young and this, these feelings of uh, happiness as a youthful person. Um, you also may have heard the nostalgia for this sort of collectivist uh, culture, and I hadn't heard that, but I thought that was interesting. Um, there's also the psychosocial benefits of social interaction, avoiding loneliness, which a lot of older people feel, obviously. And, and then the physical cognitive exercise, uh, you know, using your mind to learn the steps, uh, using your body to uh, coordinate, and so on and so forth. Um, so the big health reasons, that's dominant. And then there's this idea of entertainment from a, at least a recreational perspective, but also for something that might be professional uh, as well. Okay, so we're going to zip right into the group that I've been working with. Uh, and let me just tell you a little bit about the, the, the Yi people. Okay, so I went, the first three trips to China, all I heard was, I'm working with Yi people. Um, and then I started to do my own research. And uh, first of all, let me say, point your attention to the, to the map. Um, so here we have si just Sichuan province and the capital of Liangshan Prefecture, which is lower, and you see the circle around the, the city name, uh, is Xichang. Uh, that population of the city there is 600,000. That's considered a very small city, 600,000. Um, in Xichang, this capital of Liangshan, every one in six people is Yi. Um, the Yi are the seventh largest group among China's 56 uh, ethnic groups. So it's very precise. They have this organization. Uh, but in this 56 groups, this is just by the 2000 census, 92% of all of China's population represent one ethnic group. These are the Han, H-A-N. Okay, so 92% so of the population are Han out of the 56 ethnic groups. So that means the other 55 ethnic groups are all these other ethnic minorities. And they are dominantly, in fact, 60% of them make their home in three provinces, Sichuan, Yunnan, and Guizhou. And those are up in that area, all connected to Sichuan. So 60% of the ethnic minorities live in this particular area that I've been going to. Uh, what has happened over the last mostly 20 years, at least really, really fast by, since the 1990s, uh, but this sort of big change in China, a uh, result of economic reforms and the opening up policies, uh, people 
really have been moving from their traditional homelands, mount, mostly mountainous areas in the case of the, the Yi, uh, and into the cities. So Xichang is one economic magnet motivating uh, this, this migration. So here's the part that is really new for me. Within my, my fourth visit, I found all of this out, that Yi, that name, that's what the Han use. That's what the foreigners, that's what they told me to call them, Yi. Okay, but now I'm getting friendly over this. Now I'm there for, for the fourth time, so I'm, I'm learning some new things. Um, and I also found out that Yi represents this sort of state discourse of ethnic classification. It's a politically defined category. And that the Yi actually represent 50 different groups. So, and this, so these are smaller subgroups. Um, but the group that I wanted to know about, because these were the people I was working with, I said, finally, well, what do you call yourself? I just assumed that they were all Yi. Don't ever make that assumption. You know, that, that, I think that's like the very first question when you go into a group is, how do you want to be called, you know? Finally, I found out they're called Nosu, Nosu. And it actually means people. Okay, so again, it's like in Arizona, you know, we have Navajo, that's what the Spanish gave that group, the largest, pretty much the largest native group in, in um, uh, the U.S., but they don't call themselves Navajo, they call themselves Dine. So it's just a kind of good thing to ask people, what do you call yourself? And great pictures, and you can see I'm starting to maybe look like some of the people there. Um, and that is an interesting little uh, effect that I will go into detail about. Okay, so let's talk about urban public space. Um, just kind of outline some characteristics. Public space in the urban setting is pretty much accessible to most everyone. I'm saying that because I'm thinking of disabled people and, you know, I saw very few wheelchairs and uh, I saw definitely handicapped people, but very few wheelchairs uh, in China. Um, so there may be some limitations about who can get into that space. Um, Public space, as I've been looking more and more into what that constitutes, it welcomes anonymity and difference. Okay, think about that for a second. So you can go into a public space and basically not need to feel like you gotta let people know who you are. But you can also have a, a place where you can say, well, I'm me, I'm unique and different from someone else. Um, this idea that no one stands alone in uh, public space uh, makes this idea of invisibility and visibility uh, kind, of, kind of a, uh, for me, an interesting uh, way to look at um, what's happening in public space. So you have this, this kind of, uh, dichotomy of being invi both invisible and visible at the same time. There is obviously a diversity of people who come together and, and sometimes an awareness and appreciation uh, for, for that diversity. But uh, for the most part, we see in public space this juxtaposition of physical objects, people, building, you know, maybe the buildings are there uh, 
you know, in, in a regular basis, they're not moving, the people are, but maybe you're looking at it differently, coming into that space. Uh, being in public space, I believe, contributes to chance encounters uh, with strangers seeing the space differently, kind of unpredictable interactions, even with the, the fixed objects, and that impacts your sensory feelings. And finally, the urban setting uh, creates the conditions for being together with this sense of being together of strangers. This idea that you know everybody's there uh, as other, and so this external relationship as as one experiences each other as other is important in uh, the research as I uh, am understanding. This construct is the piece that is kind of grounding uh, my particular work right now, and it's the construct of place attachment. So one way to understand place attachment is really this idea of just having a sense of place or an emotional bond uh, between myself and my uh, physical setting. So again, bonding emotionally uh, between people and the environment. There's two uh, areas of place attachment that are interesting. One uh, is this sense of personal attachment. Okay, this is the individual connection within the place, um, but it's not just a function of, of the experience itself. Um, it's how people see themselves in relation to each other, uh, but also how they construct their own identity, which is an ongoing process. Um, the second way is community attachment. And this focuses on uh, the, the sort of uh, connection with each other. And again, once uh, I mentioned the, the emotional uh, bonds that come through this social um, experience. So people attach meaning to a place, personal meaning and community uh, kinds of uh, uh, attachments. And I think that this ongoing process is what claims the space. It's what makes place. It's the, this emotional attachment, uh, either personal or community. So that's kind of the theoretical piece that I found was important to my understanding what was going on. And every time I go, like I said, I, it's, it's like another layer. Uh, I look at things differently. Right now I'm looking at place attachment. Okay, but place attachment and Guangcheng Wu and Moon Square, Xichang, is where I am. So now I'm trying to put this all together. And first thing I found out about Moon Square is that it's the oldest, largest, and most popular, famous, in Xichang. And there's this statue. It's like right in a, a kind of uh, uh, explicit area entering into the uh, one of the main uh, sort of gateways into the into the square and this statue uh, represents uh, there's two men you'll see in just a moment uh, a yi they said yi the first time I was there now I understand it's a nosu leader and a leader a general in the red army and these two people are embraced 
And it represents a time in history called the Long March. Uh, in 1935, uh, the Red Army, the Communist Party was not in uh, control, um, but they were negotiating power. Um, they befriended the Nosu, who helped them cross a, a, a kind of uh, difficult uh, land area. Actually, it was over a river. And forever, the, the Red Army was uh, in, in favor with the, the Nosu. So the Nosu have been known as kind of a harmonious uh, people, that they want to, to help uh, different people. And in this case, uh, they didn't know the Red Army. They embraced them and, and helped them in their, in their mission. Uh, in Nosu culture, uh, harmony is one of the highest attributes. This kind of kept popping up in conversations and in my own experience there. So always trying to keep things harmonious and really bringing other, myself particularly, as uh, someone who is different, into the fold, trying to create the sense of balance. Uh, the uh, uh, next thing that I noticed was that in uh, Moon Square, most Guangzhou Wu groups, uh, and there are many, it's not just one group, and, and often there are eight or seven or eight going on at the same time, they meet daily. Uh, some meet in the morning, some meet in the evening, but every group in Moon Square relates to the work of, of Ron, one of the collaborators there. And so that, that's quite fascinating to me that uh, Rong has such a, uh, a wide influence, but uh, this one particular group of people uh, with whom I have been working um, will be the focus of uh, the, uh, the sort of attention that she brings to the square uh, as, as uh, a kind of facilitator. Most of the other groups are, are operating independently. I might say this too, that uh, in the uh, Liangsheng Prefecture, um, that this isn't, in, uh, when they say autonomous prefecture, it's not controlled by the central government. So there's a little bit more independence among the ethnic groups to um, do their own thing. But in Sichuan, particularly, uh, most of the people are uh, poor and uh, have uh, many, many fewer resources. Uh, and also that there are people from many different ethnic groups, uh, including the majority Han. So the Han are still majority in Xichang. The... Uh, I'm going to just go back to the construct of uh, place attachment and, and talk about personal attachment. So we have at least three things going on there in terms of the participation. We have the, the aging uh, uh, adults. Uh, we have the damas. You heard the word granny in the video earlier. That's who the damas are. And the thing that's interesting, I, I think, uh, as I'm learning more about the women, the older women, um, they are um, basically forced to retire early. Um, there's been a lot of oppression. They live in a primarily patriarchal, patrilineal society. Um, they've been told to limit their uh, birth ability to, to give children. 
uh, to certain numbers, although that's changed a lot since when those policies were enacted. Um, so, so that's this idea of trying to construct one's own uh, sense of identity is a sort of ongoing process. Um, they're, they're trying to kind of affirm who they are as aging adults, damas, or the ethnic group themselves that w with whom they most connect. Uh, the community attachment is this notion of inclusivity. So they're there together. Uh, there's a, a, a basically a social cohesion that's going on through the Guangzhou Wu, even with the multiple groups happening uh, simultaneously in the square. And other than the facilitator, which in this case is wrong, uh, Guangzhou Wu is decentered. It's, it's not really hierarchical. You don't necessarily have. Uh, you know, people with a higher status. There are people who know more, and they might stand in the front, and they might assist other people, uh, but it doesn't make them any more or less important. All right, let's zero in now. We're looking at the Liangshan Dance Group, and these are actual members. Um, the couple in the center are No Su, and the two on the outside are Han. So what do you notice about them? The fact that they're kind of dressed in something similar as far as the, the uh, costuming, the apparel, um, I found, found that interesting the first time I saw them. But what I then learned was these are not all the same people, okay? First of all, the ethnic composition of the group, they're mostly Han, as I mentioned, but there are no Sioux. Um, probably more different kinds of Yi people than Nosu. As I mentioned, there are 50 types of Yi groups, um, other ethnic uh, minority groups. Uh, and here's the rub for me. The, the very interesting part is that the group itself uses some, okay, in many cases quite a few, Nosu gestures and movements that represent, for example, traditional lifestyle. There was one uh, image, uh, gesture, riding a horse or doing things in the farm, sometimes playing instruments, representing Nosu cultural practices. There are also uh, uh, Nosu melodies in some of the compositions that they dance to. And so they're hearing, this is the entire group, again, they're not just uh, no Su, but they're Han and others uh, who are moving to rhythms and listening to the instrumentation of largely uh, no Su uh, music. And then this idea of the no Su cultural customs. Many wear no Su clothing. And the, I think it was the second or third time I went there, they tried to dress me up because I was there. Okay, and I've been given the clothes that I have on now uh, to wear, uh, but they didn't fit the ones that they gave me for uh, the purposes of dancing when I was there. Uh, didn't fit very well, so I was kind of embarrassed to, to wear them. But um, the, this idea that through the lens of the Nosu cultural uh, practices and, and customs, um, it's kind of a, a harmonizing feature. 
And so I'll stress that just a little bit more here in a second. The group itself has about 70 dances in their repertoire and they perform about seven or nine, or eight or nine every evening. This hour that takes place from seven to eight, everybody comes together. Not, they say rain or shine, I've heard uh, that expression, but that when it's raining, nobody shows up in the square. <laughs> you know, why? Uh, so you just know. You come, if there's no rain, you show up. And there you go. For about an hour, you uh, go through this repertoire. And again, not everybody knows. You, you have new people coming all the time, um, learning from the, the folks who have more experience. But this is what I was saying before. This, this notion of uh, the, the, the ethnicity, the cultural customs of the Nosu, becomes a frame within which identity construction, so this is the notion of self, the personal attachment, and then social bonding, the community attachment, occurs. That has been um, quite uh, an insight that has developed from the research so far. So now what we're going to do is uh, go into, oh, uh, just quickly, uh, I'm anxious to show you this video. Um, this is based on just some interviews. Again, I'm really uh, frustrated that I don't speak the language and so um, I have to have my interpretation through a translator, but most people feel so happy and passionate to dance in Moon Square. They refer to each other as brother and sister. They refer to me as family, um, each other. There are many different ethnic groups represented, uh, but this notion of harmony. That, again, people come in with diverse backgrounds. Some are retired generals, different retailers, and so forth. Um, we know that that's, uh, in any group, you're coming in with a, a unique kind of set of experiences, but they've shared with me some of what they do. Uh, wrong choreographs based on people's interests. So if they want to do a certain kind of dance or they have a, a passion for kind of a something of a certain quality, she might choreograph something around uh, that, but also really highly stresses uh, the sort of no su way, and so we'll see some of the the gestures and things of that in, uh, that nature. Also, popular culture. She brings a lot of popular culture. Jazz square. I was like, oh my god, there's a jazz square, uh, and they do it. But what is so intriguing about what's happening in China for me, anyway? I'm seeing this in, enormously rapid change. Um, economically, urbanization coming from uh, rural areas into the cities. This is creating a very unstable environment, um, as it would. But what Guangzhou Wu is, as I'm noticing, and this is sort of a research uh, sort of culmination, in uh, my understanding, um, is that Guangzhou Wu grounds that that instability. Um, it also reflects this notion of unassimilated otherness. What I'm getting at here is we have an inherent difference in public space. That, that's because it is, okay? And we're not trying to assimilate that. We're just letting that be as unassimilated as, as it is. And I think that's like uh, for Guangzhou Wu and the Liangshan Dance Group, very apparent. 
We see the personal and community attachment happening, okay, making place. And it's really through that claim, the sense of, you know, att the, the attachment, the emotional bond that people show, this, this notion of uh, wanting to be um, socially cohesive, um, it's, an, it's, it's really empowering. And so that sense of claiming space, that uh, empowerment that is felt um, makes the place. Uh, and that's how I wanted to end this portion of the, the, uh, the presentation. But it gets better because, so I've started a new uh, career as a documentary filmmaker. And uh, I decided to, I have to show you what I've been researching. So you will uh, give me some feedback when we move into this. Let's see, that was not what I wanted to show. Here we go. And I hope you enjoy my short film.
And that concludes my presentation. Perhaps we might have a few questions about the work. And uh, thank you for allowing me to premiere uh, this ethnographic, uh, really, documentation and uh, share the, the research. In, oh, yeah. In, the, in China, people like to congregate and do exercise. Oh, yeah. Them. Oh, yeah. Um, so, how is this separate from, say, doing Tai Chi, Qigong? Well, it's just that it's dance. I mean, Ch Tai Chi is a martial art, right? So, yes. so um, do di different types of people tend oh, to do that? As, or do some people do both? Some people do both. Yeah. I didn't actually see any Tai Chi at all in Moon Square. I saw in some of the other cities, but in Moon Square it's just Guan Chang Wu. There's hip hop, you see uh, sometimes couple dancing. There's a lot of different forms in which the dancing falls into this category of Guan Chang Wu, public square dancing. But there are lots of fan dance groups. Oh, you see the fan dance groups, yeah. Rehearse in public spaces, and um, there was also a salsa group once. Yeah. Couples just dancing and I know. Yeah. That's what I mean. You can just sort of move in and become part of that. So, yeah. Sorry. Um, did you notice if the origin of the, the movement helped to give this sense of place or whether it made a particular dance or choreography popular? So, were the traditional movements incorporated? Did it elevate that? Yeah, maybe or for the the nosu because those were the traditional elements that were included. Not every movement was traditional, yeah. but those that might have then resonated with the nosu perhaps elevated their experience. In relation to the rest of the group, in relation, did they impact or is that an area that? Um, I'm not sure if I understand the question, but I do know that the uh, people who I interviewed that were not Nosu said, I said, well, how do you feel when you do the Nosu movement? And they said, special. That was what yeah. they felt. So, but there is a lot of popular movement. Like I said, there's a, sort of a jazz square kind of thing um, and other things that perhaps they've seen on the internet or, you know, media kinds of uh, representations. But, did, am I getting at your question yeah. a little bit? I was just wondering when we go in and set a choreography or, or an exercise for a group of students, oh, yes. drawing upon a, some people's culture but in a mixed group, um, how does that then impact the other participants and does mm -hmm. it isolate or does it bring help with the belonging class? Yeah. My sense is that it promotes group cohesion um, and I do know that Ron asks what people are interested in doing too. So she kind of picks up from their energy. There's a huge repertoire. As I said, there are over 70. <coughs> people seem a little lethargic. Maybe there's more, uh, maybe a slower quality of, of dance. Um, I might mention when I go there, the very uh, greatest expectation is that I get on that stage and I lead them through dances. And I'm, I'm moving to the music that they provide for me but it's definitely not their movement. And they love it. They, they come up and they, oh, you know, they just embrace it. So um, I, don't, I, I hope they're not just doing that, but it feels genuine. And 
appreciate that. I expect that. Yes. Where does the sound system come from? Yeah, it's a little. And that's why. Yeah, yeah, and you saw she had the yeah. system there. Um, I don't know how they coordinate because there are many different groups going on just in Moon Square alone. Um, but it's basically as far as the sound reaches, that's how big that group is. And that, you know, there's sort of this imaginary cutoff. And when you don't hear music in there, there's, maybe there's some blending, obviously, of other sounds. But yeah, they're just portable sound systems. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. So can anyone just set up a group then? They just occupy that space and put the music on and... You know there's there's contestation. There's mm -hmm. definitely a vying for a place. So um, I think groups like this, Moon Square seems to be a little bit more harmonious. Um, Rong being kind of overseeing everything that's going on. She's on the stage. Her people, which is the, the group that I've been focusing on it dress in the Nosu style, um, they're right in front of the stage. So they do have a prominent position, and everyone else kind of fits in wherever. But nobody else uh, tries to, to take over that space while they're there. So they have this one hour. It's, they're not there forever. You know, I mean, it's really a very definite uh, period of time, and then they're gone. Somebody else had a hand raised. Sorry. Oh yes. Um, talking about the stage, is that always there? Yeah. And there was barriers. Um, I can. Those barriers. Is it like um, they're spectating? They're the audience. Yeah. I don't think it's really for the purposes of keeping anyone out or in. I honestly don't know. It's very dangerous uh, when I'm up on the stage. I mean, the thing is very shady and. Uh, yeah, it's not really set up in, in a safe way. Yeah. Uh, so safety and, and risk assessment and things like that, like Lord Diane and, and Jenny, um, they're not focused on that. I've been, we didn't have a stage. Oh, where, what's he? I went to three places, Beijing, Gondi, Yeah, yeah. Did you see people dressing in traditional? No. Yeah. No, this is very unusual for what I can tell. So, uh, of course, it interests me mm -hmm. a lot because of that difference. Mm -hmm. you know? yeah. Yeah. Sorry, again, those barriers, is it the groups that own barriers? Or do they just... They're just there. They're just there. Yeah, they're just the there. Yeah. 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 Um, I don't know. These are questions I, I, I can't answer because I don't know enough. I, every time I go, it's like a little, little, little deeper, deeper understanding. Somebody over here. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's just it's a question for for um, a lot of people obviously working with older people. It's the predominance of women. Mm. But I'm wondering what observations you have and whether the Chinese themselves from this area talk about the fact that it's predominantly women as as an issue or how they can attract men or just something about that. Yeah. No. I mean, I know that uh, they're definitely the feelings of empowerment are obvious. You know, um, you saw a few men, but it clearly is a more of a woman's participatory experience. But also in this case, it was intergenerational. You don't really see that. Usually, you know, maybe it would be just a woman's, uh, elderly woman's group, or maybe men and women couples. 
but to see the children there is very, I, I think, kind of a unique feature of this, of this group. But do you have, why, that's the question, is there any sense why the women? Well, I think this feeling of being oppressed for so many you know, centuries, uh, they're given a sense of freedom. Uh, maybe some of you who've been to China know more about this than I do, but um, I know that there's this forced retire early retirement, and there's like, what do we do, you know, with our lives? And so they're out there, they're taking care of themselves, they're connecting with others, because there's definitely that social isolation that one feels is, in some cases, as one grows older, they, they, well, you know, it's a youth society, I'm not part of that. No, they're, they're creating energy and making, making themselves seen, you know, having that sense of visibility. It's not an issue that there are men that are happy that it's in their space. I, I think that doesn't come up. I mean, they don't care who's there, honestly. They don't care if there's Han, they don't care if there's men, you know. It's just that they're there, and that's what they want. So for the people that are kind of dressing in the traditional way, do they do that every day for their ritual? Just for this. They wear... I mean, like, when they come oh, yeah. to the space at that hour, yeah. they kind of... Yeah, just for that hour. Yeah, no, it, it, it's very interesting, just that, that fact. You know, here they come with, again, they're not necessarily no soup or putting on those clothes. And that's why they gave me permission to, yeah, just, you know, we want you to wear this because it brings you into being part of that group. Because yeah, it's not like it's a performance athlete. It's no. just part of no, the no. participation. There's no, yeah. yeah. Uh -uh. They're not performing for anybody. Yeah. It's for themselves. Yeah. And does the choreography change weekly? Or That's a good question. I don't know. It feels like um, over the past two years, the four visits, I've seen a lot of the same things. So I, I think there's repetition. But that's good because the people who are um, new to the group, yes. You know, they're learning the steps, and the people who've been there for a while, they're, they're strengthening their, their skill and mastery. And I did mention this before, but there's, perhaps you notice, there's, there's definitely a, a freedom of expression. I mean, people are not trying to do it the same as someone else. I love the one man, he has this beautiful quality, I, I kind of featured him, um, and he is no Sue, and I thought, he's just letting go, you know, he's just being himself. And, uh, there was, I noticed there was a young man who was all dressed yes, up. Yes, there was a young man. Yeah, he was the young, one of the younger fellows. What about the children on the stage? What was, what was going on with them? Yeah, the, um, Ron's granddaughter was on the far side, Union, and then the children in the center, I don't know their relation, if there was one, I'm not sure. Um, but just that they were up there, they clearly knew the steps, that's why they were there. So they're helping, you know, the stage is there so people can see, you know, they have the model of someone. There was somebody in the back, and such. Oh, yeah. Um, sorry for my ignorance, I, I don't, I've never been to China, but from what I've seen in documentaries on television, the Japanese have a lot of respect for their elders and yes. sort of look after them, sort of care and nurture it. Sure. And you're saying sort of what I got the sense from this documentary was there was a real sense of pride and you were saying about that visibility, yeah. particularly 
older people having been visible. <coughs> Do you think there's a shift changing yeah. in China, China? Again, it's real hard for me to, <coughs> to try, I mean, it'll sound stereotyped, you know, kind of overgeneralized, but yeah, from what I can tell, there, there does seem to be um, a kind of uh, rise in the youth culture, but I don't think that that's forgetting their ancestors and you know, the elderly. I mean, I, I still feel that there's that sense of respect, but I don't know, you know, compared to uh, 50 years ago, how that's changed, honestly. Um, yeah, they are so technologically savvy. They're, you know, they've got all the best iPhones and, you know, technology that, that better than what I've noticed in the U.S. in some cases. Uh, so the, the, the young people are really, really well connected with the world, and I'm not sure that that's at the same level among the elderly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How did Ron find herself in the position she's in? Yeah. What's the... So that's so interesting because she went to college with uh, Beijing, so they were college friends. Studying us. The my other collaborator, and then uh, Rong moved. That she chunked because she wanted to be in that area. She met the Yi elder with whom she married, Shaman Watte. He's very prominent, and he produces the Torch Festival, which is one of the most important festivals among the, the Nosu. Look into no so you see torch festivals like really. So she she kind of you know came into it through. So was there marriage. nothing there when she came? She started it. Not before. sure, not sure. But maybe some of you know that line dances came to to China some I don't know what it was maybe in the eighties when we were line dances popular. But anyway, they they came to China and that's kind of what you're seeing there. The sort of remnants of. The, the, the fad, the electric slide, and those kinds of things, that that was definitely an influence to Wan Zhangwu. But that also people, like whoever brought it up, uh, people gathered in public squares anyway, historically, to do a group movement. It seems that, the, that in China, the squares are functional. Whereas our hours are, like George Square is, Something to walk through and that's right. it looks attractive. No, that's they, they're functional. And they're are they functional for these? Were they originally built for participation of groups? You know, I I, I don't know, but I think um, you can travel around the world, and I think that must be true in Europe, and I know it's true in, in places in South America, and in Brazil. Public squares are a place where people gather, and there's usually a church, almost always a church. You know, there, and so there's that sense of connection with you know the larger community. The floor surface is so suitable for dancing. It looks like it's almost tiled or really smooth, whereas those are cobbled squares. Yeah, yeah, no, that's pretty smooth. Yeah, we have time for a couple more questions. Yeah, I just wonder about the the sort of future of um, such organized group. Activity because I know with the one child policy that China had, we now have an influx of, of uh, younger male Chinese and uh, fewer female Chinese. And given that this is a predominantly sort of female activity, I wonder if you could maybe talk a little bit about, or if yeah. that's maybe something you wish to look into, how the future, how the 
that participation might change <coughs> to include perhaps more young males or include uh, maybe a range of, of people. Right. One thing I know as an anthropologist is that it's very context specific. Mm -hmm. So how people make meaning culturally, I mean, it depends on the context. And in this context, uh, the, the one uh, child policy, that doesn't apply. Okay. Anyway, that's changing all over China. But the ethnic groups have never really been held to the same uh, description. So, you know, that just in regards to that one piece of information. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm still trying to just learn about what's happening there in Xinjiang among the Nosu in Moon Square and not try to make too, too many generalizations about the rest of China. But I do know Guangzhou is very, very popular throughout the country. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I think we're past time. I just realized. But thank you very much for your. Uh,